Remember we were a young married couple. Uh, we'd had our first child, Taylor was born, and we were expecting our second child. It was in the uh, late 90s. We were living in Oregon at the time, and we were getting ready to purchase our first family vehicle. Okay, we'd had vehicles left over from our single years or our early marriage with no kids, and they didn't really fit kids. We were in that family stage, and we knew we wanted to have more kids, and so the cars we were driving weren't going to hold the family that we'd hoped for or the dream that we'd always had of having a boat one day. And so we were in the midst of, I know, obviously if you know me, that dream has never come true so far, so one of many. Anyways... So we were getting ready. We'd sold our one uh, car and had that cash. We'd saved up some money, and we knew exactly what we could afford. We wanted to pay cash for that vehicle, and we'd saved up. And with our sale of our vehicle, had enough to get a pretty decent uh, used car, but a new or late-modeled used car or the, the van. Actually, we were looking at minivans as they were coming out, but it was a specific type of minivan. It was the one minivan that had a, a chassis that was designed to be able to pull a boat uh, so we were even planning for that at that time. And so we walked into the dealership. We were excited, and we said, you know, let's see what you got on the lot that's, you know, maybe three, four years old but in, in good shape. And, and, there, and as we walked into the lot, that glistening gleam caught my eye, and I looked briefly to the right, and there she was. A brand new, I mean classic. And I knew the moment I saw that 97 Astro Chevy van, that it was going to be a classic forever. I mean, it was not just going to maintain its value. It was probably going to become one of the greatest vehicles of all time that would have, you know, satisfied every need and desire we ever had. And I thought, how can I possibly be satisfied with a used vehicle when possibly the greatest van ever made is sitting right there? And it's just, I, I knew it was a sign from God. And so in our silliness and thinking, uh, oh, this is so much nicer. The new one has all these new features and it. it's going to be perfect for us. We got roped in, not roped in, we just made a, dis a poor decision to buy the brand new 97 Chevy Astro van. Didn't have much of a payment. We had a fair amount of money to buy a used car, so we ended up with like a $100 a month payment. We thought, oh, that's not very much. I mean, not a problem. But we were a brand new, younger family. We'd just bought in our first home. We were just one of us working, and so $100 every month was a lot of money for us in the late 90s at that stage of our lives. And after two months of driving that van, probably the greatest van, have I mentioned that, that has ever been produced? I'm joking. I realized we'd made a mistake, that we got sucked into getting what we wanted but after two months, I realized this isn't really what we desire. We wanted something that we could own outright and that wouldn't be a pinch on our budget at that season. And we could have done that. And so we made the decision. My wife and I prayed about it. We talked about it. We knew it was probably a foolish decision when it came to worldly financial decisions. But it was going to be the right decision when it came to uh, who we wanted to be and what was important to us was to go and turn that van back in and just say, find us whatever you have in a used version that can let us drive it off the lot debt-free. 
So we went back and all we could picture is the first two used vans that we saw while we were there that were like orange shag carpet, you know, I mean, about as ugly as you could imagine. And we're just going, Lord, please just don't let those vans still be there when we go back. And sure enough, we go back to the lot and guess what two vans were still sitting there. I said, all right, Lord, I'm going to suck it up. We're just going to do what we need to do. And so we walk back there and I'm looking at the vans. I'm trying to picture them in a different color and it just, I can't. But in the midst of submitting to that, the guy says, well, hang on a minute. One of the other salespersons just said a van was turned in yesterday. We haven't even registered yet. I have no idea what color it is or what it looks like, but I'll go check it out and we'll bring it around. And sure enough, they brought one out that was just a normal brown color. Not as nice as the navy blue one that we had, but we could get it debt-free. Now, we lost a, a good chunk of money just because of the exchange, but we drove that thing off uh, with no debt, and it brought a sense of peace uh, to us uh, that we never got from the other one. My guess is that I'm not the only person in this room that's ever chased after a want thinking it was going to satisfy them at that moment, only to find out that it did anything but that. This series is all about that. This series is about understanding how our wants and our needs sometimes come in conflict with what we truly desire, with what is truly valuable in our lives. And, and as we explore this over the next several weeks, my hope is that all of us will learn to understand how to discern between these different things and ultimately how to pursue what is truly valuable, what God created us to desire more deeply than just the surface wants that we often end up chasing in our lives. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's read in James chapter 4 the first steps of this process, and that's understanding these two truths, but ultimately coming to this single realization that's absolutely vital to us beginning this journey of learning how to get what we truly desire. James says this in chapter uh, 1 of uh, chapter, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So here's what James says, and let me, let me talk just a little bit about what we're looking at here first in, in different terms, because the Bible uses lots of different English terms to translate Greek terms, and they can use them differently, and even one term can mean different things in different places based on its context. But I'm going to try to keep it real simple so we don't get confused to distinguish between uh, what I'm going to call wants, needs, and desires in a minute. But the term here in this, in this passage James uses is passions, and he uses it twice twice at the beginning and at the end. And and in this particular context, this word is a word that means a strong uh, want or a strong uh, feeling for something in a negative way. It's used in a negative way for something that is not healthy or a worldly thing that we're going after. The Bible in no way says that passion or desire is wrong in and of itself. 
We are to have a passion or a desire for God. We are to desire or have passions for the things that are good in life. But here James is using a word in a specific way to talk about passions for things that are specifically not good or sinful or broken in this world. Are you with me? And that's how I'm using the term want throughout this series to distinguish that. So here's your first point, and we'll see it in this passage. The first truth we need to understand is this. My wants are naturally in conflict. My wants are naturally in conflict. James is is saying that. What what causes quarrels, what causes fights among you, it's this, that, that your passions are at war within you, meaning all your different wants, they're at war within you, not only individually as a person, but with people around you, our wants are at war within us. So let me define these real quick, and you can jot these down as you want. I'm sorry, these would have been in your notes, but they aren't now. Here's the three terms that I want you to understand how I'm gonna be using them throughout the duration of this series. A want, I'm defining as a shallow expression of what I truly desire. And I'm gonna say a shallow, broken expression. This is part of our brokenness as sinful humans that uh, causes us to want or, or desire something that's not of true value. A need is the most basic and minimal supply of what is necessary. So as I use the word need, that's what I'm referring to there, the most basic and minimal supply. And then the last term is our desire. That's a deep affection that seeks what is truly valuable. So the desire is kind of the deeper thing underneath these wants and and needs that often express themselves. Okay, so that's going to help you a little bit as we go through this series, how I'm distinguishing between a want and a desire. Let me give you a statement that kind of helps you understand the difference a little bit. Wants reveal what I value. Not necessarily what's valuable, but they do reveal what I value. If I want this or I want that, whatever you want is what you value. So one thing you learn by the things that you want is it's teaching you a little bit about what you value. Uh, It may be good or it may not be good. Needs reveal what is necessary, but my desires seek what is truly valuable. Okay? Important to understand that. Now, I know you guys are a sharp group. I see you every week, and you're a lot smarter than the 10 o'clock service. But I still think it maybe would be helpful if you had some illustrations or some pictures or images that might help you get this concept. So I put together some pictures uh, along some of these things that maybe will help you get the idea between the difference of a want, a need, and a desire. So, so if, say, we're looking in the area of a relationships, right? <laughs> Ladies... That's what you want when it comes to a relationship, okay? Now, this next one is what you really need, right? I mean, that's just, that's what you need. You don't need this great, hot-looking, good-looking, rich, successful guy. You just need your basic average Joe. But what you desire is this last one. You desire someone who will go through life with you for the duration, That's what you truly ultimately desire in relationship is that connection, that intimacy with someone, okay? Now, I know you're maybe catching on, but you're saying, well, Chad, okay, I kind of get it, but I I might need a couple more examples. Well, I'm so glad you asked that because I I have a few more here for you, okay? 
So this next one talks about homes, right? That's what we want. We want the huge mansion, the fountain, cars parked all around, you know, everything you could possibly imagine in every single room. What you need, well, you just, you know, you just need a basic shack to kind of keep the rain off your head or down here the sun off of your head. That's really all you need. But what you desire is a home. You want a place where the people you love are secure and protected and taken care of. So you see how a want and need and a desire as I'm defining them kind of connect. Now I know it's starting to make a little bit more sense to you, but I, you guys are a little slow this morning coming off Easter and maybe didn't have your coffee yet. So here's one on, say, health, okay? Guys, that's what you want, right? You want the six pack, but you got the one pack. You know what I'm saying? That's what you want. What you need, that's, that's, really, that's all you really need, right? But what you desire is just general overall health to be able to do the things that you were created to do. Okay, a couple more. Let's go with security. Girls, that's what you want. You think the big Kim Kardashian diamond ring rock will bring you the security? Man, if I can just find a guy that will, that will get me that big ring, I'm going to be secure. What you really need is just anything, right? <laughs> I mean, some of you are saying, at this point, I don't care what it looks like. Just put something on this finger, right? <laughs> I just need a ring on it. But what you desire is a loving relationship, is someone who's, who values you for who you are. Okay, last one. Guys, this one's for you. Okay, provision, right? You got to go out into this desperate world and provide for your family and it's a jungle out there so I mean we need big trucks to get around in this town it's not an easy place to make a living right what we need is just basic transportation right we got to get from point a to point b but what we desire well we still desire a pretty big truck don't we <laughs> I'm just saying it's just it's tough to make a living out there. So we really do need big trucks if you live in Texas, right? All right. I think you got the idea of where we're going with this. Here's some, some statements I want to just leave you with in regards to this particular truth. If I insist on getting what I want, it will always prevent me from getting what I truly desire. If you always insist on getting what you want, it will keep you from getting what you truly desire. You see, because what you naturally want is in conflict with what's ultimately valuable. Valuable. This is part of our brokenness as human beings this side of heaven. Is our wants get in the way of what's truly valuable. And if you always do what you want to do, I guarantee you, you will end up in a place that you do not want to be. That's kind of the gist in one sense of, of C.S. Lewis's book. What he, he portrays heaven or hell, in this case hell, as is, is not so much the images that we see in the Bible because his point isn't to give a biblical view. His point is to kind of give a philosophical, intrinsic view of what hell might be like. And kind of the premise of his story and the character that goes through there is, is this, that hell is a place where you get everything that you want. 
And here's how, how he portrays it. The guy's dropped off on a, on a bus station, and hell is this kind of like a little city, and he doesn't even know he's there yet. He's just exploring it, and he's kind of finding this truth out as, as the story goes on. But it's in a city, and in the city there's neighborhoods and houses, but a lot of them are vacant. And as people are dropped off, what happens is they, they say, hey, I like this place. It's kind of neat. I want this. But in hell or in this place, everything that you want becomes a reality for you. And what ends up happening is that people have a, a, some change in what they want in their little neighborhood, and they say, oh, I don't want this house anymore. And so they want a different house, and that house comes about. And that house has got to be in a different place because it can't be on top of this one, so they move out a little bit further. They stay there for a while. Maybe they have some conflicts with their neighbors, and they say, you know, I don't really like this neighbor. I don't want that neighbor anymore. Well, that's what they get. They get a new neighborhood then in a new home. And, and what's interesting is this the city where the bus stop drops him off eventually sprawls out to places where there's people, he says, are literally hundreds of millions of light years away. The ones that have been dropped off the soonest because they keep wanting something different and it moves them further and further away from other people to the point where, think about it, if you get everything that you want, you don't need anyone else in your life because you got everything you think you want. And so hell for him is this picture of everyone being so absolutely, infinitely isolated from others because you only want what you want. Pretty profound concept. And that's kind of what James is talking about here and it's kind of the gist of this series is understanding our wants are broken and they're always in conflict, even within ourselves. The next point is this. Uh, the pursuit of my wants will always result in conflict. The pursuit of my wants will always result in conflict. That's the second truth we need to know. My wants are naturally in conflict, and the pursuit of my wants will always result in conflict. James says it this way as he goes on to explain his first passage, or first verse. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. And I'm using the term want where he's using desire here. It's just, you know, semantics in that sense. So you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. There you go. The pursuit of them results in conflict. You see, when we choose to operate based on our wants, we can and only will face conflict. That's all it can ever result in. In fact, it'll result in conflict with other people or it'll result in conflict within yourself because your wants are even in conflict within yourself. You cannot get what you, what you want and not be in conflict with yourself. Let me give you some examples. You want every person, well, I wouldn't say every person, but at some point. Every person wants to make more money than they've really earned. We all want that initially. We all want to make more money than we really earned. But think about it. If you want that and you really wanted that, you can't want that and let anyone else in the world want that same thing. 
it automatically puts you in conflict with others because if everyone could want to make more money than they've really earned, then everyone would have more money than they'd really earned and everyone would have all this money and money would have no value because everyone would have every bit of money that they wanted. And now suddenly the value of money is gone because everyone got an abundance of it and it's not rare anymore. See, it's the scarcity and the abundance that gives it its value. So even in your own wants, it's going to put you in conflict with other people. You guys, and maybe girls too, when you're young, when you're foolish like many of us are at that point, you want to have sex with every good-looking girl that you come across. That's a want that you have. But the problem is, when you get married, you want to marry a girl that's never had sex with anyone else but you. You can't have your wants. They're always going to be in conflict with one another. And the more you pursue them, the more conflict you're gonna experience in your life. That's what James is talking about here. You see, when you always get what you want, it will keep you from getting what you truly desire. Let me say that again. When you always get what you want, it'll keep you from getting what you truly desire. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, and you can just answer this or raise your hand in your head, how many of you have any kind of regrets at all in your life, if you look back, right? Maybe one or two of you out there, right? Okay. Do you know what a regret is? Do you know how a regret begins? A regret always begins with a want. That's how they start. And every single regret you have, you can tie back to a want. Because that's where they start. See, you really wanted that car, and you wanted it so bad that you were willing to do whatever it takes. And for the first five, six payments, man, it was awesome. But for the next 52 that you see before you, you have huge regrets that, man, I'm strapped to this thing. It's worth less than what I owe on it. And it all started with that want. That home that you wanted, that home that you thought, if I just had this home, man, it would give me everything that my family needs and I'd be so satisfied, I'd be so happy, it'll provide everything I wanted. And when you got into it, you were super excited, but the weight of that 30-year mortgage now, that you're three years into it, is become crushing to you. And the upkeep of a home that you had no idea or didn't really think about is not nearly as satisfying as you thought it would be. And now you have a huge regret. That job you've so passionately pursued or that degree that you put so much energy into and thought, if I could just get this degree, if I could just get that job, I want it so bad. And now that you have it, you've realized it's not producing the life that you'd hoped for and you regret maybe being locked into a career or a path that you don't really see any exit from. That boy or that girl that you so desperately wanted to go to prom with your senior year, I mean, you thought if I could just go to prom with him, man, I'd finally have everything I wanted. And 20 years later, when you went back to your high school reunion, you said, God, I'm so glad. I did not get what I wanted. 
because look at him now. <laughs> or maybe that's you that someone else, I'm not, I don't know. <laughs> Our wants are always gonna be in conflict, whether it's within ourselves or with others. Those are two truths we have to come to grips with. But let me just share this last point with you. And this last point is the most important because you can know these two truths I've shared, these two truths that James gives to us in this passage and still end up with tons of regrets in your life because if you don't come to this last realization, then these truths mean absolutely nothing. You can know them, you can memorize them, you could pin them on your wall, you could write them on your mirror, you could hang them from the rear of your mirror, you could see them all around you. And knowing these truths will do nothing for you if you don't come to this last realization that James is gonna give us in this passage. And this last realization is simply this. I cannot get what I desire on my own. I cannot get what I desire on my own. Here's how James says it. At the end of verse two and in verse, into verse three, he says this. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions or as we're calling them, wants. So basically he boils it down. He says, hey, you don't have because you don't ask. And asking implies the fact that you need someone else to get your desires. You cannot get them on your own. You don't ever ask someone else for help if you already got what you need. And that's what James is saying right here. Whether it's riches, popularity, relationships, power, do you realize even in their broken senses, every single one of them requires other people. You can't be rich, in a sense, without other people because if there's not something to spend it on or if there's not something to compare it to, what, what is riches then? I mean, if you were the only person on earth and you had every bit of gold that this world could offer, what value is that if there's no comparison for it? You say, well, what about power, Chad? I could be all powerful and be by myself. Really? Well, who are you going to exercise your power over? What good is all power if you're all by yourself and have no place to use it. You cannot receive or experience your desires on your own. And asking implies that we need someone else to get what we really desire. And once you understand, once you know what is truly valuable, once you know what you truly desire, you will stop settling for simply what you want. Once you know what is truly valuable, once you know what you truly desire, you will stop settling for what you want. There's a man that I know that, that is the epitome of this principle. He was a man at a pretty young age. He was still in his early 30s. He began his ministry, and at the beginning of his ministry, he faced an incredible trial and temptation. The, the Bible actually tells us that he was led out into the desert 
by the Holy Spirit himself. And he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end of that window, which if you know anything about fasting and the physiology of it, you know that at about 40 days is when your body is at its absolute limits without food. It'll begin so consuming and and devouring itself to remain alive that you experience hunger pains that are unbelievable. I mean, nothing like what you guys all have while you're waiting to leave here and get to Taco Palenque. We're talking about like life-threatening hunger pains. I know you think that's what you have, but it's nothing close to that. And when Jesus was led out to be tempted, the devil came to tempt him in three key ways that surfaced some of these deeper desires as opposed to wants in our lives. And the devil came to him first with with that first want that we would all have. He came to him and he said, Jesus, he says, if you're truly the son of God, then turn that stone into bread. I mean, Jesus had not eaten for 40 days. He needed something to eat. He probably wanted something to eat. And there's nothing wrong with eating something in and of itself. But Jesus had a greater purpose and a greater mission than just himself. And so Jesus responded to the devil with this. He said, man does not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, Jesus knew that he could get what he wanted at that moment, but it would never truly give him what he really desired. And he was willing to resist what he wanted because he knew that something he desired was far superior and so much more satisfying. So comfort didn't do it for him. So the devil takes him. He brings him to the top of the temple over the holy city of Jerusalem. Jesus' people, his family, those whom he was sent as the Messiah to represent. And the devil says, hey, if if you want to show your security, if you want to show your power, if you want to show off to your people who you are, just jump off the temple here because the Bible says that your angels will protect you. Jesus says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He doesn't give in to his desire or his want to maybe be popular, to seem powerful in front of all his people. He instead hangs on to what he truly desired. So the devil takes him to one last spot and he brings him up, puts him on the top of a mountain peak where he can see all the kingdoms across the whole world. And he says, he says, Jesus, if you're truly the son of man, he says, you bow and worship me and I will give you every one of these kingdoms. They're all yours right now. In a sense, here's what the devil was saying. I can give you these kingdoms and these cities and the glory of this world right now through a shortcut. You won't have to go to the cross if you will bow your knee to me right now. But Jesus said to him, you shall worship the Lord your God only. You see, Jesus may have wanted that, but ultimately he knew he already had it. But it was going to come through a path it would bring great suffering 
great pain and even separation into his life. But what he desired was so much stronger. What was truly valuable to him was so infinitely greater than anything he could have acquired in this world that he was willing to put aside his wants because his desire for what was truly valuable was so much greater. Here's what's ironic about that, is Jesus deserved the bread. He deserved the protection. He deserved the glory because he lived perfectly. You and I, we don't even deserve the bread. It's someone else's. Someone else created it, and yet we covet it, and we want it, and we think we deserve it. We want popularity. We want protection. We want God to take care of all of our needs. We want glory. We want attention. We want all these things that really aren't ours. They are created. They are made by someone else, and yet we want to demand them from God. And as a result, we deserve to hang on a cross. But Jesus came and said, you know what, these things that are mine, I won't even want them. I won't even take them when they're rightly mine so that I can be the first human being to ever reveal to this world how valuable my Father is. Because more than the things of this world that will never satisfy, He wants you and I to know the things of eternity. He wants us to see what he has seen and enjoy what he has enjoyed for all eternity past. Because that's what you and I were ultimately created for. And so he stood in our place so that we could stand in his. Some of you are here today and you're standing in the quicksand of regrets in your past wants. And, and you're only going to sink deeper and deeper and deeper as long as you keep pursuing your wants, as long as you keep thinking that those wants, if I could just get them, they're somehow going to give me what I truly desire. And you need to make a decision. You need to change course in your life because you're sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into the quicksand of your regrets. And God's calling you out of that mess to find out how to get what you truly desire, how to find what's truly valuable. And these next few weeks are gonna help us do that. My guess is there's others of you here that Maybe you're more like standing on the bank of a river and you're one step away from going after a want that you've thought about for a long time and think this is going to be the thing that turns my life around. And you need to know that you are standing on the bank of a river of rushing regrets. And if you take one more step after that want, it's going to sweep you down that river. My prayer is for all of us that we would just pause for these weeks and ask God to begin to show us how we can better understand 
what he created us for, what he desires in our lives, what we need to long for, something that's much more valuable than anything we could ever find in this world so that no more are we slaves to our wants because we've found what is truly valuable and satisfying. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these truths. Thank you that you and your kindness have recorded these truths through the pens of your people throughout time, inspired by your Holy Spirit and kept and protected for us to read today. Lord, truths that these could not have just been simply written by men because every time we open this book, Lord, it examines our hearts in ways that we can't even examine ourselves, ways in which we don't even understand about ourselves until you show us. Lord, many of us, maybe for the first time, have realized that our wants are in conflict. I didn't know that until your word examined these things in my own life. And yet, Lord, every time I open this book, every time I seek to understand what you say, I realize you know me better than I know myself. So Lord, please take us on this journey. We need you to lead us, to show us what's truly valuable. And the only thing that will ever truly satisfy our deepest desires. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.